Almighty God, we beseech you to save us from keeping you at a safe distance. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, there was a man named Michael Knight Kirk who lived in Los Angeles, and he invented an alarm device for cars. Uh, He felt that the typical honking car alarms were too insensitive after being Uh, after being awake all night due to a car alarm that went off in his L.A. neighborhood. So he invented something that you may have heard about called the Invisibeam. And the Invisibeam is a small computer in your car that wraps your entire vehicle in a microwave field extending about two feet away from all of your car's metal and plastic. And if someone were to step into that, energy field, a computerized voice would say in a firm but polite tone, you are too close to this vehicle. Please step back now. And then the car would start counting down. Ten, nine, eight. And if you didn't move by the time uh, the countdown wrapped up, the Invisibeam would get louder and say, I have been tampered with. (laughs) And when you finally step back from the car, it would say, thank you. So I'm thinking about Invisibeams as it relates to, to Lent, as it relates to Ash Wednesday, because I'm thinking about all the places in the Bible and in life when the Invisibeam was activated. And, you know, it was, it was activated in the life of the murderer, Cain. You know, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Step back now. And then the mumbler, Moses, well, I can't do this because I don't, I don't speak very well. Right? You're too close, God. Step back now. And then there's, of course, the betrayer, Peter, who says that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Right? You're too close. Step back now. And uh, this happens, by the way, in ministry. Sometimes when I say to people, you know, you should just give Jesus a chance. I mean, just give this thing a chance. Or maybe you should go to counseling. I'll go with you. But I think you need to go. Or maybe we can get together and talk about this problem. And the result, sometimes in these very words, you know, no thank you. Step back now. Um, But I get that. I understand. I do. I understand the defense. I understand our invisibility. I understand the energy field that's on alert because we're afraid of being hurt or vulnerable or exposed or betrayed or we're afraid to change and what that might cost. And so we have these defenses up, even in the church, you know. Don't tell me I need to trust God again because I really prayed the last time and I did trust and it didn't work out the way I thought it would. So just step back. Or don't, don't tell me to have hope. Don't tell me to have hope in this marriage. You know, I, I've had hope a hundred times over and it didn't work out for me. So step back now. Or don't ask me to look for forgiveness. I looked for forgiveness before and I wasn't granted any forgiveness. So please, just step back. 
And uh, I think this is the disposition of a fallen heart. I think it's what we do. I think we reject. I think we build walls. I think we turn on the defenses. And I think that we don't want any, any involvement from the outside that would get too close to what's inside. And I want to do something different tonight in this little homily. I want to look at Cranmer's prayer, that beautiful collect that I had us all read together, the collect for Ash Wednesday. If you want to just look at that with me, <clears throat> because what Cranmer is doing, remember, this man, he was like Martin Luther, but he was nicer, though. But he was like Martin Luther in the sense that he was profoundly in touch with his own weakness in humanity. He understood himself to be a frail person. And he's inviting us to turn off the Invisibeam, to, to, to have enough faith that, it, that we begin to think it's okay to be vulnerable with God. And so I'm just going to break this prayer apart and talk about it a little bit. He starts off by saying, Almighty and everlasting God, who hatest nothing that thou hast made, and dost forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. This is what Cranmer he does. He begins with an acknowledgement. He never begins with us. He begins with God. Because that's why you're in church today. You're actually not here to see people. Not principally. We're here for a vertical reason. We have to square with God. He's the one with whom we ultimately have the content. And Cranmer is saying something um, important about the nature and character of God, that this entity, this reality, this suprapersonality that we know as God and parentally as Father is not animated by hate. It's not obvious, by the way, if you look at the food chain, that he's saying something about God. God is not animated um, by hate. Have you ever been animated by hate? because somebody's done something to you. This happens, uh, you know, when people are wronged or there's an injustice against them. There's a burning sense of anger. And, and some of that anger is righteous and some of it isn't. But hatred can get people a long way. You can go a long way with hate. But God isn't motivated that way. Cranmer is saying that, uh, that God is not like fate toying with you, messing with you, this cosmic vivisectionist this torturer, this torquemada. It's not like that. Um, that he is in the business, it says in this passage, of not only not hating, but forgiving. That God is in the business of wiping slates clean and giving notorious evildoers a lot of space and a lot of mercy. And this is the only reason we can pray to God in the first place. Because God, as he is revealed in Christ, is approachable. And he's not antagonistic. So that's the acknowledgement. And then he moves on. He says, create and make in us new and contrite hearts. That we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness. <laughs> and let me stop there. So he begins with God and then he asks God for a favor. We're asking God for a favor. We're, uh, we're asking, this is a petition. We're, we're asking that he would do something on the inside of us. 
that he would affect the heart, which in the Bible is like the center of personhood, the center of personality. And we're asking for a new and contrite heart, one that works and functions rightly. And he tells us in in this passage what a rightly functioning heart does. And this is what it does. This is how you know if you have a good heart, that it laments for sin and it acknowledges wretchedness. Isn't that interesting? That a new heart isn't that it's sinless, right? That a new heart is willing to be honest, painfully honest. And um, I don't like that. I don't like it. I would, when it comes to repentance, I would rather displace. I want the government to repent. I want the Democratic Party to repent. I want Donald Trump to repent for saying he doesn't need to repent. <laughs> I do. I want, I want big business to repent. I want my family to repent. I want my wife to repent. I want my children to repent all the time. I want them to repent because then my life would be better. But I want to blame everybody else. I do. I don't want to look at me. I want to displace. Um, I, w- I want to blame it on the rain. But I also want to minimize. That's the other thing. If I have to take the hit, well, I would say, well, nobody's perfect, you know. We're all sinners. We're all broken. So, you know, we all have problems. I have problems. You have problems. And now that I've minimized my crimes against you, I feel better about myself. And yet, um, this, isn't, this isn't what this passage is saying. You know, it doesn't cut it to say to somebody that you've really hurt, well, this is just who I am, so you have to get used to it. Not good enough. Not good enough. Um, what this text is saying is that a new heart grieves the things that grieve the heart of God. That a new heart is vulnerable and admits and is candid and very honest about sin. And it doesn't just call it a mistake. It calls it sin because that's what it is. Um, and this is, uh, this is really critical that a new heart is by its nature a confessor. It says, I'm a sinner. My life is an offense. My life is an offense against that which is beautiful and true. And, um, and it's my own fault. Yeah, I'm the victim too, but I'm also one heck of a victimizer. And I need a lot of help, and it's my fault, and it's on me. A lot of it's on me. That's what a new heart does. It confesses. Now, I had this situation with a, she was a middle-aged woman in, in Philadelphia. I was in an Episcopal church out there serving for a long time. It was a very good church. And this woman, um, she never smiled, but she, and she didn't look well. Her, her, she, she aged poorly, and her face was very gaunt. And, and, uh, but she dressed really well, and she was very intelligent and uh, well-respected in the congregation. But we were at an Ash Wednesday service, and, and she kind of broke down, and she was crying. And um, I didn't know what was going on. But she, after that service, went to the priest and said, uh, Father Greg, I need you to 
come over to my house. My kids are in danger. And he didn't know what was going on. And so they, he went to the house the next day. And uh, she opened the door. And what happened was that she, nobody knew this about her, but she was a hoarder. And you've seen the shows. You know. But it was very bad. And the house had become very toxic and dangerous because of the garbage and the urine and the fecal matter from all the animals and the dead animals. And, the, you know, it was bad. It was really bad. And her kids were sick. They always looked sick, but I didn't know why. And then I knew. And I knew why she was sick, too. And she said, I, and she, she said, I need help. I can't do this now. And so we got a team together, and we went over, and we, I mean, cleaned everything. And it took a long time. And, and, and seeing her in the midst of this cleanup was really um, unnerving because she kept shaking, and she was pulling at her hair, and she was scratching her arms, and she was crying, and then she would get very angry, and then she would cry more. She was very embarrassed and then angry that certain things were being thrown away. Um, and uh, at the end of all of it, she sent an email to a few people, and I, I saved um, part of it. She said, um, she said I, I, I learned something about myself and about God in this cleanup. She said, I think that repentance, this is brilliant, repentance always involves a high degree of embarrassment. It is a harrowing and embarrassing thing to confess to another person that you're in over your head. But it was the only way that I could get well. And she did get well. And she smiles a lot more now. Um, so that's the thing, that we come to God and we ask for a new heart that is honest, an honest heart. And then Cranmer says that we may obtain of thee the God of all mercy, perfect, perfect remission and forgiveness. That's interesting. The outcome of the vulnerable heart is not partial forgiveness or forgiveness weighed on a scale or given out in little doses, little brownies, you know, you get as a reward for good behavior. It says perfect remission. Now, remission means the canceling of debt. So no more debt. You don't owe anything. And forgiveness. Um, this is the character of God. We begin with God. Then we ask God for this favor that he would create in us new and contrite hearts that confess. And then the outcome is perfect remission. There's a story told, some of you know it, of a Filipino woman. I don't know if this is true. I hope the story is true. Who, and she supposedly had visions of Jesus Christ. And her bishop was very skeptical of these reports. And, she said, and he said to her, well, I'll tell you what. Next time you see Jesus, why don't you ask him what sin I committed when I was 18 years old, that sin I confessed to him. Why don't you tell me what he says? And uh, the woman does that and comes back and says, Bishop, I, I talked to Jesus about you. Uh, and he said only a few words. He said, 
I don't remember anymore. I don't remember anymore. You see, we have this dark fantasy that all of our sins and crimes are written in permanent marker in some like insane book. And that that's the definitive word. And no matter how much we talk about grace and the cross and remission and forgiveness, that at the end of the day, all of those things speak the loudest. And that is not the message of Ash Wednesday or Lent or the New Testament. The message is perfect remission of all your sins. Perfect. Not partial. Not little bits, scraps here and there. Perfect remission of all your sins. Debts are paid in full. So, this is Ash Wednesday. And this is Cranmer's brilliant biblical prayer. And he is inviting us to, for once in our lives, take down the shield, to take down the invisibeam, because it is not our friend. Our defense mechanisms are not helping us. They're hurting us, and they're distancing us from the life that God has for us. And so he's beckoning us and pleading with us, um, don't do this thing that barricades you from God and from truth and from being a good disciple and from a godly, beautiful life. It's not worth it. Um, Cranmer is pleading with us. He's saying, it's safe, you know. You are on safe ground now because of Jesus Christ to take down the Invisibeam because you can have a new heart and you can really be whole and life really can change. Things can be different. And so that's why we smear ashes tonight. That's why we do what we do. We, we, we're smeared with a side of mortality and repentance. It's a sign of candor. It says, I'm the problem, I need a lot of help, and I need perfect remission of all my sins. And if that's what you need tonight, that's what you're going to get. And so I invite you and I invite myself to repent, to turn to God, and to know in a deeper way the complete and perfect remission of all our sins. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.